Hello, my friends. Welcome back to the Naked Leadership Podcast. This is Chad. This week, I'm joined once again by Dan and Adrian. And this week, we get to sit down with author Doug Cartwright. He has a new book entitled, Holy Shit, We're Alive. (laughs) I love that title. Uh, And this conversation is just as fun and enlightening. There's so much here in the context of leadership, but also self-love and finding our way through life and something that's meaningful. I can't wait for you to have a listen. So without further delay, Doug Cartwright. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Naked Leadership Podcast. This is Chad. I'm here with Dan and Adrian once again. Dan, how are you? Still breathing. Still here. (laughs) Adrian, it's good to be with you, man. Thank you, man. Thank you. Today we have Doug Cartwright uh, with us, and I'm so excited for this conversation. There's so much to talk about. Um, A book, holy shit, we're alive. Uh, not to not to give anything away was that a spoiler um i should have let you introduce that doug but i'm just i'm really excited to to have you on here we've we've gotten a chance to chat a a little bit personally you and adrian have been able to chat a bit um and just i know there's so much that you're gonna that you can offer in this conversation around leadership how we show up as leaders so welcome man it's so great to have you i know it's nice to reconnect with you guys i'm happy to be here so I want to just right at the top, give you a chance uh, to just introduce yourself, background, what's relevant in this conversation for you? Yeah. So before I wrote my book, Holy Shit, We're Alive, and before I founded my current company, The Daily Shifts, um, uh, my background is I grew up in Salt Lake City, Utah, in an upper middle class family, um, kind of on the east side, where everyone was white and a little bit rich and conservative and Mormon. So I was kind of raised in this bubble in a sense, um, not really seeing the outside world. And when you're grown up, when you grow up in a, not just in a Mormon faith, but in like a strictly, uh, in a strict religious household, you kind of have your life laid out for you. So it's kind of, you're, you're told what you're supposed to do in life. And so the story is kind of like, you know, go to church on Sundays, you know, get good grades in school. When you're done with high school, um, you're going to maybe do a semester of college, but then it's kind of this coming of age ritual in the Mormon faith is to go on a, a two-year service mission, you know, become the mission, the missionaries or the elders is what people call them. And you kind of get sent all over the world. And then after your mission, you serve honorably for two years, you're supposed to come home and you're taught kind of your whole life that, you know, by being a returned missionary, that you'll be attractive to girls and that girls will want to marry you. And then once you get married, you're supposed to have a bunch of kids. And then once you have kids and you have a good job, you buy that white picket fence and you get the nice car. And then eventually you'll die and you'll live happily ever after in the highest kingdom with God for eternity. So that's kind of like instilled your, your life is kind of laid out for you and you're kind of supposed to do everything you're supposed, you know, you're, you just are told what to do and what's the right way to go. And so I followed that blueprint through high school um, and it and whatnot. And I was, you know, I was captain of the football team. I was student body vice president. I was the nice guy. I went to my church, went to church on Sunday. Um, and then it kind of came time for my mission. And so their mission is kind of like, as you grow up in the Mormon faith, it's like this big deal. And it's like weighing on you. You're thinking about it when you're a teenager and it's like this big, you know, idea. And it's like, almost like your worthiness in regards to God as if you do this thing and in your community. So, before you leave, 
um, there's a standard of worthiness you're supposed to live up to, which is, you know, for the months before you go, no girls, no intimacy, no pornography, no drinking, right? And then you kind of have like this big farewell party. I got called to Auckland, New Zealand. So I was really stoked about that. I like hit the lottery with that one, right? I had people, friends getting called to like Idaho and I'm going to New Zealand. So I was stoked. Yeah. (laughs) I was was stoked. I was Minneapolis. Yeah. (laughs) I got Auckland, New Zealand. So one up on you. Um, (laughs) You were way more faithful. Yeah, was more that because God loved you more, Doug, or what? Yes. They they uh, say that it's um they say that it's inspired. So that's there's no you have no say in it. Uh, so God tells was, them where you go. I was inspired to go to New Zealand. So I was stoked about it. So we had this big farewell party. I had my dates locked in. Like I said goodbye to everyone. I you know, did the whole rounds, like, okay, it's time for me to go do the service mission. And um I had a girlfriend at the time. And two nights before I left, like we were saying like our final goodbyes and it's like, I'll write you and I'll wait for you. And it's like this big dramatic thing when you're 19, but we were together alone and we got intimate and we broke the rules. Like we, we, we crossed the line. We knew we weren't supposed to cross. And technically by doing so that voided my worthiness to be an elder. And the shame and guilt around that and the embarrassment was so big that I, there's, I'm like, there's no way I can confess this right now. Like I leave in two days. I've already said goodbye. I've already like, I've cleaned out my house. Like I packed my bags, like my flight's already booked. I can't now be this embarrassment in my community and church. So I swept it under the rug and I, and I didn't tell anyone about it. So I continued to go to the training center and then get eventually sent to New Zealand. And over time, as I was this missionary and I was really ha- I loved my mission and I felt like I was a really good missionary but the guilt and the shame of that, of hiding that secret under the rug eventually got so big that I confessed nine months into my mission to my, to my mission leader, the guy who was in charge. And, you know, I wasn't prepared for it, but they actually felt like my transgression was severe enough to send me home. So all of a sudden I'm nine months into my mission and they boot me off the island, voted off the island. And I come home And it's kind of this moment of like, oh shit, for the first time in my life, I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do. I've shamed my name. I've shamed God. I've shamed my community. And it's almost like I took on like this, I almost want to say like a villain role where it's like, I don't know if I fit in anymore. And that was kind of the first experience in my life where things didn't go the way I thought they were supposed to. Mm. Wow. Wow. And like, what happened? How, what, tell me what, what opened up at home and what, like, how, what was the transition like for you from there to here? Yeah. So the lucky, the thing that I feel really lucky about is that my dad was, uh, was not a member of the church. I mean, he was, but he wasn't active. He, he, he didn't believe in it anymore. So I didn't have like this really intense pressure at home where like mom and dad were super disappointed. I think my dad was actually probably really excited for me to come home. Right. Um, and so I was lucky to have that support from mom and dad, but I remember feeling really embarrassed to my church leaders, embarrassed to my ward members, embarrassed to my community. And really I was always craving their validation and craving their support. And what's really interesting is digging really deep. I wasn't aware of this at the time, but where the story actually really begins, if you play backwards, is in, when I was growing up as a kid, I was overweight and I was the fat kid. And in second grade, I got teased for being the fat kid. 
And when you're in second grade, you're not self-aware. You're not comparing bodies. You're not, you know, you don't, you're not aware of that comparison game, but some older kids made fun of me and called me fat. And so I remember, you know, subconsciously creating a story that, okay, something's wrong with me, mm -hmm. right? I'm not good enough. I'm broken. And now I have to prove to everyone why I should be a valued member of the community and society. So that served me, you know, it actually kind of came a, a tool that I gained, you know, in elementary school, junior high and high school, where I was trying to be overcompensating by being the nice guy or being the friendly guy. And especially when you get to junior high and high school, when it's like girls get in the picture and I had crushes on all these girls, but they didn't have crushes on me because I was the fat kid. So still trying to gain validation, I would be really nice and friendly and so I overcompensated and it's like, okay, maybe if I'm captain of the football team, then I'll get attention. Or maybe if I'm student body vice president, then I'll get attention. So I was doing all of these roles to get validation. And then it was like, okay, time to do the mission too. Like, okay, I'll go on a mission, please value me. And really what I'm trying to do throughout this whole experience is like trying to gain the love and trust and support from my community. So when I finally get sent home, I'm the fat kid who doesn't deserve love is the story I told. And now I've disappointed God and now I've disappointed my mom and disappointed my family. And it was like a really heavy crutch on top of me. And all I'm really trying to do is just gain the, va the validation from my community and friends and family. And, and I just didn't feel like I had it. Of all the things like th that we're going to get into some more of your story, I hope. Yeah, we'll um, get there. But all of the things of all the things that you've been through, in your life and experienced and, and, um, participated in, I'm so curious, this is maybe a very meta question. I'm so curious why you start there with that mission yeah. experience. Yeah, because I start, you know, I've done some crazy things and we'll get into it, but the reason I start with the mission experience is because I feel like, you know, with the work I do with my clients, it all stems back to a story that we've told ourselves when we were a kid of why we're not good enough almost every one of our problems goes back to a story that we're unlovable. Something's wrong with us. We're not good enough. And then we run around the rest of our lives scrambling with this angst of trying to prove to everyone why we're valuable. Yeah. And my, my story, that's where, it, that's where it like really is. It's, and it's an extreme story and it's very relevant in that experience because what happened after that was around the same time I got sent home from my mission, um, I was trying to earn my worthiness to go back and my dad got diagnosed with stage four colon cancer and that put the brakes on everything. I mean, if stage four colon cancer is a death sentence. So he was diagnosed and passed away within 14 months. So I was actually really grateful that I was home because I was able to spend his last good year with him, but I'll never forget another, you know, traumatic story that I created in my head. It was two nights before he passed away and I'm sitting at the stairs by his door. He had in-home hospice care. He was completely unconscious he was gone. And my mom put her arm around me to like console me. And I remember feeling these immense feelings of grief and sadness and despair and loss. And it was really intense. And I start sobbing uncontrollably for about four seconds. And then my mind goes, whoa, 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 whoa. This is intense. I don't like this. Be the tough guy. Don't show emotion. You need to be strong for mom. Like, what are you doing? Don't show any weakness. You're not supposed to cry. And it was like, my dad was dying. And I was like, Whoop! and I cut it off and I just shoved all of this emotion down. So now I've got, I'm the fat kid. I'm not worthy of love just in the general population. B, I'm not in good standing with God because I got us home from my mission. And C, I don't know how to process my emotions because my dad just died. And so it's like this buildup 
of these festering emotions inside of me with kind of nowhere to go. And what, and then we can dive back into this, but I just want to curve it right into, because what happened next was I'm now screaming for validation and love and acceptance. And I find this opportunity in sales where I can go make hundred percent commission and I get paid for leading and training and managing, managing and personal sales. And I became 100% obsessed with this idea because it was like, our society rewards those who make money. If you're wealthy and have money in our society, you're looked up upon. So I'm like, oh, there's my ticket. That's how I can get validation. That's how I can get love and support is by making a lot of money. So I became obsessed with this commission sales, like basically MLM job. And by the time I was 24, I'd made a million dollars. And it was like, please, like, let me show you how much money I had. So I started buying insane things like cars and trips. And I was front row at every major sporting event. And I was going to the club and buying bottles and like just blowing through my money. And all I'm really trying to do as I'm like posting pictures with Kevin Durant at the Super Bowl on my Instagram is like, please validate me. Tell me I'm great. Tell me I'm amazing. Because really at the core, I felt so lost and unlovable. Mm. You know, it's, it's such a great, you know, you talked about that racket that you run on yourself that I'm not valuable and how we do that. We call that the, the sentence, right? We lay this sentence on ourselves and, uh, and then we go about trying to prove it's not true. And, right. and the, in the very persona we create and proving it's not true is, is an imposter. And then we fail. And then when that fails, it just reinforces that, that sentence we put on ourselves. And man, I was just, connecting to that that cycle that you were in and and so what was the breakout for you what what occurred that opened up for you where you just authentically came out and started living your life so you know early 20s i'm balling out i'm spent i'm spending way faster like spending money like crazy just blowing on stupid stuff just trying to prove that i'm cool and i kind of hit the ceiling when I'm like 26, 27, where it's like, okay, I'm like, I would, my nickname at my work was the King because I was such an incredible sales rep and leader and manager and trainer. And hey, I was you, really, you got what you were looking for. Yeah. yeah. I got, I was trying, <laughs> I was trying to take on that role and I got it. And I was still really, really unfulfilled. And I remember the first time I have a conscious memory of having like a, like, what the hell am I doing was, so I had just gotten back from the Super Bowl. I said, uh, it was the Seahawks Patriots game where the Patriots intercepted at the one yard line when the Seahawks just should have ran it and they didn't. And I was in a suite, Dan Snyder, the owner of the Redskins. I was in his suite sitting shoulder to shoulder with Kevin Durant, like interception. I had my arms around Kevin and we're jumping around like, and I'm posting it on Instagram, like the epitome of like success. And the night before I was front row VIP at the W with Drake. And it was like any man's dream. And I remember a week after that, or maybe it was two weeks after that, I'm, on a flight from Salt Lake City to New York to go to the NBA All-Star Game. And I remember this is the first time I had like, what am I doing moment as I were flying? I remember thinking the only reason I'm going to this NBA All-Star Game in New York right now is so I can take a picture and post it on Instagram. Like, I don't care two shits about the game, right? But I'm just going to post a picture to get validation. And that was the first time I was like, what is going on? Like, when I was consciously aware of like, where is my life going? This is not fulfilling. This is not the life I want. It was just really, really exhausting. And so to answer your question where things changed, it was 
about two years after that, I'm kind of in the free, you know, for the next year or so, year and a half, I'm in this like muddy area. Like I don't really have a relationship with God and church isn't really working. I'm burnt out at work. I'm making good money, but it's like not fulfilling. Like my, I don't have any personal relation. My health is kind of just so, so, and I'm kind of just like, in the, I'm fully in the hamster wheel, keeping up with the Joneses, like just feeling the exhaustion. And the story, the actual full story itself is really insane and really intense. And we don't have the time to go into it, but I explain it all in my book. So just for like, a, yeah. for a fascinating, for a fascinating read, go into the book. But there was a moment for my life felt like I was in the Truman show. And the turning point was, you know, I found this book called stealing fire and oh, yeah. stealing. Yeah. Great Stephen book. And, yeah. and Jamie. Yeah. So the, the premise of the book is basically how to get into flow state. And so flow state can look like anything. So if you're a professional athlete, when you're in the zone, a musician in the pocket, a surfer, and just when you're just, everything's coming naturally. So in my head, I'm like, oh, I would love to be in the flow state in sales and managing and recruiting. And so I read this book, pick it up, not sure what's going on. And it gets to a part in the book where they talk about psychedelic substances. And growing up in conservative white Utah, right, Mormon, you're taught that every drug is basically methamphetamine. And if you do it one time, you'll be addicted, then you'll become homeless and then you'll die. Like that's, that's the, that's the drug story you're, you're told as a kid. And so you'll, I'm you'll commit all the other sins too, before yeah. you die. I yeah, mean, that's, right. that's just details. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was just like this big blanket put on the sub on these substances. And so I'm reading about the, the therapeutic benefits in regards to depression and anxiety and the healing powers of these compounds and these mystical states that they create and this connection to source and divine. And I'm just like jaw on the ground, like what? And I'll never forget the first time I read the quote from Steve Jobs when he said, doing LSD was one of the most profound experiences of my life. And in my head, I'm like, here is someone, Steve Jobs, who literally changed the way humanity lives. He's looked up upon as probably the most incredible, iconic entrepreneur of humanity. Like someone who literally changed the way we live. And he's talking about benefits of these substances. And I remember feeling it like, oh, there's something here. Like there's something in this space. And per the universe, coincidentally, shortly after, I'm at a, an event um, at a cabin and a, a friend who I hadn't seen in a long time offers me a psychedelic compound. And I'm like, I've never been offered this. I've never seen it. I've never been around it. And right after I read about it, it's being literally served up to me like this. And I was like, shit, I have to try this. Like, I have to figure out, I have to go down this rabbit hole. Mm -hmm. So on June 10th, 2017, um, and that date has significance if you read the book, I had my first experience and it was so incredibly profound. It completely flipped my constructs of reality upside down. It shattered my belief patterns. I was communicating and having seeing energy and like seeing people's auras, which I didn't even know what an aura was and like getting insights and feeling the connection and love of the creator for the first time. And like getting insights on my human experience. And it really just rewired my whole brain. And it was such a profound life altering, shattering experience that night that my life changed forever that I was so stuck, struck with awe and curiosity that I'm like, okay, I have to go down the rabbit hole. And that was really, that night was the first night of like, okay, the rabbit hole is open. How, how deep do you want to go? 
when you, when you say the rabbit hole, what are you referring to? Like self-discovery, self-exploration, like yeah, looking at it was stuff like, you weren't willing to look at or what? It was like this conversation I had. I'm like, okay, everything that I thought was real is not real or my, my belief patterns, right? I, my, my, my worldview got shattered. I'm not saying this is all capital T truth, right? I'm just saying the, the worldview that I had created in my mind got obliterated. So I'm like, I need to figure out for me what's going on. So that led me down this rabbit hole of trying everything to find that fulfillment that I've been searching for my whole life. So that led me to therapists, neurofeedback, biohacking, float tanks, hiring a meditation teacher, hiring a spiritual guru, doing all types of psychedelic plant medicines from psilocybin to ayahuasca to 5-MeO-DMT to working with facilitators one-on-one to traveling to Bali to go to yoga, to doing silent meditation retreats in the woods. We're not allowed to talk to like anything like crystals, tarot cards, Reiki, anyone that had claimed psychics, anyone that had claimed to have some sort of insight on spiritual connected connectivity. I was like, I'm going to give you a fair shot because what I, the worldview I created was completely wrong and you might be right. So I'm open to it all. And, you know, I was doing, you know, going to Burning Man and lots of weird shit goes on there. And so it was just like this weird discovery. And there's a lot of bullshit. I will say there's a lot of bullshit in the space. Like there's a lot of stuff that just does not resonate, seems super fake, not did not connect to me at all. But there was a lot of things that were like profoundly healing and life-changing along the way. Yeah. Well, that's what hits me is like when you tell the story, if I connect this to the story on the plane two years before, you know, that's where the dam cracked. Right. Seems- like oh hold on wait a minute oh no it, which gets, yeah. which can be for people i mean if if and i've done this only a million times in my life if i'm holding on to the last gasp of an old self really it's like this still has to be true i don't know what else there is so i still have to keep making this true and then it finally breaks and you see it and you're like i can't unsee what i just saw i can't unknow what i now know and there's a, there's an oh shit moment. Like, oh, like, oh, I can't go back now. And so either I go into more rigorous inauthenticity, which is just more despair and more horrible choices to deal with that, or find your way, wiggle your way into this, where you try something new. And then it's a where it seems like I, as I'm listening, it's like, it seems like the quest was, where's the yes. Yeah. You knew what the no was now. But where's the yes? And then you were open and like, you know, you're an obsessive type guy, which helps in this, in this context. It was like, oh, hold on. What are all the possibility things? Let me go hard. I mean, you, you, this is, I don't know if this would be helpful for anybody, but we tend to, I think we tend to as humans, leaders, you know, and of others, maybe even, and sometimes of ourselves, we like judge the machinery instead of accounting for the aiming of the machinery. Mm. Because your story is you went around the fucking world to go find out who had the, you know, inspiration, insight, inquiry, exp- all those things. You, and you did it like a madman, but with, a, you know, uh, with a gentleness to it and a, an explorer's hat on. But that's a similar machinery as what you were doing when you're becoming the best, when you're becoming the king of the sales world. Right. You know? right. It's like, but the aim is so distinct. So we can sometimes chuck out, you know, the kind of hard charging Doug, but it's like, no, no, let me take this side of myself and aim it at life, aim it at openness, aim it at interpersonal connection, aim it at truth and vitality. And all of a sudden the redemption story, which just gives me the chills is like that, which used to, it's kind of like 
Saul and Paul from the you know New Testament stories. No, no joke on I think humanity that, and I'll just speak of it as if it's a, a letter or a story about a guy named Paul. He was like the chief mofo killing Christians. Ended up having this experience. Ended up becoming the man, like the most entrepreneurial church planting dude that changed, you know planted really expanded the christian religion forever and he was the one killing christians and then he was the dude paradox. Uh, the paradox yeah paradox. anyway I, I dig it man it just that that's a principle i mean there's a handful of principles in there that i think matter or can be for people listening thinking about how they're relating uh you know are wanting to or can relate to the all-star story and now are yeah. wondering about yeah to so. your point you know one thing that I, I do want to make note of is like in that initial experience I had, it was, it was frightening in a sense because I did realize I'm like, wow, nothing will ever, like, I can't unsee this, yeah. right? Nothing will ever be the same ever again. And I'm aware of that. And I'm like, oh shit, like this is going to be a lot of work and it's going to be scary. And I'm going to be upside down at a place I've never been before. And as beautiful and as incredible as it was to expand my, um, globe of awareness it was frightening in a sense because it's like this is uncharted territory yeah oh shit we're alive holy shit holy shit we're alive yeah. what's that? We, what's use, it, what's... we use this quote all the time this kicker guard quote um that i first heard from dan you know that, that men find a level of despair that's tolerable and call it happiness mm. and in some way like befriend our own despair to find a way to survive life yeah and if you give up on that relationship to the despair, uh, it is frightening because I know despair. Actually, I know depression. I know anxiety. I know angstiness. I know dickhead. I know all the selfishness. I know all that. Even though it's hurting me, I, I know it. So it's, it's familiar terrain. And maybe this is all there is. I'm just, I'm just fine. You know, yeah. just fine. And, and, and looping to that, Adrian, what's really interesting is the big, a big turning point. So I'm like on this, okay, and I'm on this quest of like exploration, right? Who's got the answers? I want to talk to you. Let's meet, let's do your experience, whatever, blah, 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 blah. But what really triggered the upward spiral and really concreting my self-belief was along the journey, I met this girl named Lauren, who's actually been a friend of mine for 10 years. And we kind of get into this psychedelic healing space together. And we have a couple of moments where it was a very deep, soulful connection, like very cosmic, very outer worldly. And it was really beautiful. And for a brief moment, we had this coming together of like, oh my gosh, you're my person. Like when people say, oh, you'll know you'll found the one because you'll just know and you'll get that. And I'm like, oh, I get it now. Like I get it. When you know, you know, I get it. Like true love. So we had like this very short honeymoon phase for about three months where it was like, pure bliss and euphoria and i'm like oh my gosh i found my person and like she's gonna be the mother of my children we're gonna create this beautiful family together and then out of the blue she dumped me and it was very confusing and i was very disorienting because there was no foundation in my perspective of why she would do this and i felt manipulated and, and confused and angry and uh shortly after I uh, had suicidal thoughts for the first time in my life. And I remember actually feeling shame for the first time I found suicide. I'm like, I just got broken up with, why am I thinking of suicide? Like, that's so weak of me again, right? Yeah. And sh shortly after, um, I'll never forget, I was, I was out doing the, the selling, the, uh, in my old company selling, and I was doing a morning walk in the woods in Arkansas, trying to like piece together my life of what had just happened. 
And I had this aha moment breakthrough where I realized that I had outsourced all of my happiness to her. I put her in charge of my life. I put her in charge of my happiness and she was the one driving the ship. And as long as she loved me, then I made me happy. She was filling the void that I, I didn't love. And then I put like, it was like all of these puzzle pieces I had my whole life of getting home from my mission and my dad dying and being the fat kid and, you know, making a ton of money then squandering it. And it was like, oh, I don't love myself. I don't love myself. And then it was like, all the pieces came together. And it was like, that's the true secret of my life is self-love because what I've been doing my whole life is I've been needing external validation. I've been needing you to approve of me. I've been needing you to tell me I'm great because I don't think I'm great internally. And I'm like, I need to learn to love myself. And that started another year and a half journey of learning to love myself. And in the book, not to give away some of the secrets, but it was like self-love truly is the ultimate superpower. Because if I truly at my core love myself, I no longer need your external validation. I'll always want it. Wanting external validation is, will always feel great. But as, if I don't need it anymore, that gives me permission and confidence to express my truest, most authentic version of myself into the world because I don't care about your opinion. It doesn't matter how it lands. It's a learning opportunity and it's me experiencing and expressing my life into the world without any repercussions of how others may perceive it. And it's like the most freeing ultimate thing. And like you were saying, Adrian, it's like you get so used to being anxious and frustrated and and what I realized the way I explain that in the book is, you know, we get used to if, if happiness is a scale of one to 10 and we just kind of flirt with a five, six, our whole life, we get used to it to a point where we think a six is actually a 10. Yeah. Right. And then all of a sudden I experience these, these moments of self-love and I break through to an eight, nine, a 10. And it was like, holy shit, we're alive. Like this feels incredible. I had no idea I could just naturally feel so enthusiastic and joyful and excited and motivated and confident without any external inputs. It's just my natural self. My natural expression is love and joy and enthusiasm. And when I can remove the garbage inside of me, the negative self-talk, the I'm not enough and heal that with internally, my natural state is holy shit, we're alive. And that's a 10. And it's like, wow, I didn't know this state existed because like it's your point, Adrian, I was so used to feeling so low. Mm -hmm. all right well it brings up it brings up uh one of the paradoxes we talk about all the time in our work with leaders is every any anybody that's deciding to venture after something or deciding to make a difference deciding to go after whatever the goal is you know self-improvement is necessary and 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 it's actually also very sexy, like being somebody that wants to get better all the time. Everybody wants to hire somebody like that, but being teachable, aggressive, you know, uh, you know, I'm reading 15 books a, a year, whatever. It's like, oh, that looks great. But that also, if that's, if that's what we're long on, like if that's what we're focused on is how, like, how, where do I need to be? How do I want to be? How must I be? Um, but if we're not also what you're saying, if we're not also balancing that uh, with, I'm good. At the core, my performance doesn't say who I am. At the core, if I don't hit the goal, it's still, I'm still intact. I might feel wrecked and that might be appropriate, but I don't lose myself. I'm not just this external machine and external image that I'm waiting for other people to, you know, 
to make me feel good about. So it's this like both and of like self-improvement really committed to uh, continuing this evolutionary path. And I'm also okay with where I am. Like I love the yeah. guy that's here and I love all the mess that's here too. Like all the mess also serves me. You know, it's like so many people, including the guy talking has spent so many time, much time in our lives, hoping other people don't find out all the, what I call bad news instead yeah. of now, if I can, you know, put my arm around all the bad news and not judge it and realize that it's a part of who's crafted me, you know, to where I am now. Actually, what was bad, this is what your book's about, which is so inspiring to me from a, at least for me, one of the biggest things is like the, the challenges become the invitations to other people to come on out of the dark. It's okay. Oh, yeah, you're going through, you're going through this. Great. Me too, man. No big deal. Yeah. Look at me now. Look, I mean, you know, so anyway, I just, I love that position in the both and view it's like hold on i'm okay self-love i'm okay where i am self-acceptance and a commitment to how good could it get how much could i transform what is there to learn how you know vitality is this never-ending conversation the yeah. goal for me yeah the goal for me sorry dan is just it's the way to i sum that up is i'm i'm striving for contentment and what contentment is being fully accepting of where I currently am, loving this version of me with all of my flaws while being optimistic for a better future, right? I'm content with where I am. I know I'm imperfect, but I also know I'm going to get better and I'm okay with being that in this moment. And in fact, the, the irony of, it, of the paradox is that if I don't accept myself, I won't improve because yeah. every failure becomes an indictment on who I am or where I was. I become my accomplishments. I become my thoughts. I become my behaviors. And I can't shift them because I'm un I can't accept them. So if I can't accept them, I can't get close enough to them to transform them, to, to embrace them, to learn from them, to be and, and, to, and to stand in them, right? So it's a, it's yeah. funny. There's a there's a there's an irony to the paradox. <laughs> yeah, very well said. The interesting thing too, for the context of this conversation, I think that par that paradox is so applicable to the typical. I think the typical audience that listens to this podcast and also our clients. It, you know, I work with so many founders, entrepreneurs, business owners who are driving at something more, something better, something new, like. I, I got to keep going, got to keep going with very little to no self-acceptance of where they are, almost mm. a denial of where they are. Right. And, and that's, a, I think that goes right into Dan, what you're, what you're talking about. And Adrian, as you were talking, it reminded me of a line that's in the first chapter of the book, Doug, that you say, you know, you're talking about all these experiences that you went through that you already told us about going all over Bali and finding these gurus and, and everything. And, um, and you also talk about people, like one of the things that drove you on that journey was seeing other people's happiness. Like those people that you're around and you just have this calm like, sense that they are okay and that they're happy. And like, and how do you get that? What's the secret? And you're chasing a secret. And then you say, uh, the secret to life is that there is no secret. And I, that struck me both because I knew we were going to have this conversation with you in the context of leadership. And I even kind of read it as the secret to leadership is that there is no secret. Right. You know, there's one, there's one thing that we talk about often with our clients is that you already have everything you need. 
all the resources are already on the table. There's nothing out there anywhere that's going to like get you what you think you want. It's all here already. We just don't see it. So I, I wanted to like, what, what, as you wrote that, what was in your mind? Like what, what prompted that, that thought? Yeah. And I think what I realized to go exactly with what you were saying was, you know, there is no secret in the sense of, you know, it, it goes back to this self-love, these stories we tell ourselves. And when I've truly learned to love myself deeply and experience that in my normal life, my life changed from, I'm trying to solve the problem, right? I'm rushing around. I need to solve the next problem. I need to fix this, fix that, whatever, like rushing, hoping that my ship will come in around the corner, right? It's like, if I can just get all my ducks in a row and then everything, then, ev then everything will be okay. And my life switched from a problem to, so to be solved to an experience to be had. And when you change your mindset and shift your internal state to that, it like opens up this like, like glowing, loving energy of experience and connection and curiosity. And really it's like, like you said, everything you, we have is already within us. All we have to do is we don't have to go add things to us to become the best version of ourselves. We just have to remove the blockages that are stopping it from our natural gift showing up. It's just removing the trauma. It's removing the stories. It's removing the negativity. So you don't have to add anything. It's just getting rid of that garbage that's holding us back. Or the ego and the blind spots as we yeah. talk about a lot. Yeah. You know, a yeah. lot of times it's just, we can't even see what's there. Right. Yeah. And once you remove it, it na it'll naturally come out. You don't have to force it out. You don't have to add anything. You don't have to buy anything. It'll just naturally, naturally express itself. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and, and not to rain on the parade, but the, you know, there's suffering in the honesty. Mm -hmm. At least that's my experience. Uh, only yeah. because, like, you know, I, I, when I, when I've been operating outside of what's true, telling the truth is, it feels like it is risk. It is. Um, it feels like death sometimes and death, i.e. the suffering. It's like, Oh shit, I gotta, I really gotta let this old thing die that I've usually been very dependent upon. I mean, most of our, anytime somebody says for me, they've got some kind of complaint or some kind of challenge in their life. And then we start to explore it. I'll always explore the chronology. How long has this been a challenge for you? And that usually gives an indicator if they're willing to look at it about how much they've actually needed or been friends with the thing they say they hate. And why do we do that? Because there's part of it that works. Yeah. You know, I wrote down this phrase, like living in the pursuit of what's outside of our grasp. That's a great racket. I can, everything I want is just outside of my own reach. <laughs> it's right around the corner. It's right around, you know, it's like the secret. Like, you know, it's like, the, yeah. that's what made me think about it. It's like, oh, there's some secret out there. It, it hit me because on this uh, uh, Instagram live, I don't know, a couple of nights ago with Ali, everybody's questions were about, about mentorship. And that's, I think, I think that sometimes the pursuit of a mentor is just such horseshit. Like if I meet this person, they'll tell me what to do. And so I just got to yeah. go find the right person. And it's impossible to get, to get to talk to this person. And the, the benefits of impossibility is that I'm not responsible for anything. And instead of saying, how do I, I told them on the live, which none of them liked is no, no, you go mentor yourself. That's it. You mentor yourself, you, you give yourself your best advice, go do it. And then tell yourself the truth about what worked and what didn't work and all that. They didn't like that as much, but you know, but it's just that living, living as if 
the, the, there's a thing right outside my grasp that'll fix me, that'll make it easier, that'll make it better. Um, or if this person just fill in the blank, if it did just fill in the blank, if the movie or if the market just fill in the blank, then I could. And that's all just. Yeah, and, I, and, I, and I say, I say in the book too, I'm just like, stop trying to chase the life you think you're supposed to be living and live the life you're living now. Amen. Amen. Yeah. The script sucks. <laughs> that's great. I want to, um, I wanted to ask you really quick about daily shifts. Yeah. Um, before we go, we, we're, our time is running low and you've been so generous and I just wanted to keep listening to, to you tell your story. Um, but I also am so intrigued. I don't know the history of daily shifts and I, w- I will, I would love to know how that came about and what is it? Yeah. So daily shifts was coming about as I was starting my journey where it's like, okay, I've learned a lot of cool techniques and tools, gratitude, breathing, meditation, that really helped me integrate some of my experiences. And for whatever reason, I knew I needed to build an app. But one thing that I do feel like I did well is as I was building the app, I knew it was going to be more than an app. I left the door open for people to come in and change and grow and give me ideas and let it be adaptable. So what first launched is an app in the Apple App Store, The Daily Shifts, which is basically like a checklist for the soul It's like your daily reminder to get back in touch. Um, And our users are still growing, which is incredible. And I think they're going to be a big pop after the book. But it's now a blog. It's now a newsletter. It's now a media site. It's now an online workbook. It's online modules. It's group coaching. It's one-on-one coaching. And it's retreats. And I like when I first started, I never would have thought I was going to turn to that. But I knew it was going to evolve. And so I kind of, you know, I talk about in my books, finding the flow of life, like, life knows what it's doing. Life is trying to teach us. Life is trying to take us in the right directions. And when we resist specific things or when we cling to a specific idea, how we think it's supposed to, that's when we suffer the most. And so I kind of surrendered it to the universe and I continued to work hard and I continued to stay focused, but I let daily shifts turn into what it needed to be. I kind of got out of my own way and I feel like I've done a good job with that. So what is it now? How can, uh, how do you interact with it? You get the, yeah. the app and what's, mm-hmm. what's the function? Yeah. So if you're looking for more of our masterclass on the Holy, it's called Holy shit. We're alive extra credit. You know, so after read the book, there's a full 10 module online course with a workbook that goes in hand in hand with the book. If you want to start down your own journey, it's a very much a starting place. Cause I've told my story to a lot of people and they're like, wow, that's amazing. But like, where do I begin? Like, where do I start? So this is a very good starting place where it's like, you know, so the subtitle of the book, as you can see here, is it's now what, right? So now what is basically I've done everything I'm supposed to. I have the job, the career, the family, the kids, the white picket fence. Like I've done everything I'm supposed to. Now what? Like, this is it. There's got to be more. It's like those people stuck in the five, six and daily shifts is for you. So we have the app to, to nudge you through your daily experiences, to start opening up your mind a little bit. The book, my story that will guide you the holy shit, we're alive, extra credit with the modules and the course. And if you really want to go a deeper dive, I have group coaching and one-on-one clients as well. What do you hope this book, I, I read the introduction and I think you talked a bit about this, but what do you hope this book is for people? What do you hope they do with it? I hope this book is inspiration for people to look at their dark side. And when you can lean into the unsexy parts of your life and move through them, you can break through to a level of life that is so incredibly euphoric and blissful 
that, and you don't need anything to it. You don't, you don't need to, you don't have to go buy anything and you can just have these natural experiences of a deeper enriching moment of life. Hence the title, Holy shit, we're alive. Right. And like I said, this doesn't mean that I don't feel sadness or grief. I'm just okay now when I feel sadness and grief. I'm not trying to fix the sadness. I'm not trying to fix the anxiety. I'm okay feeling it because that's a normal emotion of life. And this feeling of all, just trying to be okay, trying to grasp on anything to survive, you let go. And the intention of the book is to steer you in that direction where you can learn to love the life you're living, not the one you wish you were living. I can't read. I can't wait to read the whole thing, man. Yeah. I'm so excited. August 10th. We're live. Yeah. Dan, Adrian, any closing comments, ideas, anything you want to leave this conversation with? I'm just looking forward to reading your book. I think this is exciting. And really you rang a lot of bells in me. It's, it's, it's right down the kind of the pipeline of our work. And I appreciate your journey and your contribution, man. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I'm just really happy and really proud. I'm glad we're friends and uh, hearing this conversation, even, even more, I mean, more of it has come out in this conversation than the, the time we've been spent together. So it's just awesome. And I think, I think that's the, for me, that's the, the biggest takeaway. And not, I mean, one of the main takeaways is like life seeks after life as well. Right. So when I hear you kind of unapologetically talking about what it takes to, ha- to be, to be in this experience of vitality, I want to be there with you. And I was like, yeah. Oh, wow, that's wow. Okay. Hold on. It's not about solving the problem. It's not about fixing the thing. It's about living in this ongoing evolving conversation and being with what is now and generating what's anyway, there's like, it's, it's, it's very magnetic, um, which people are probably feeling as they're hearing this and then probably judging it. So they can go back to their mediocre living, but don't judge it is my invitation and just feel it. And like, okay, maybe there's a conversation that you need to have, reach out to Doug and, um, and, you know, buy a couple of cases of books, do that. Thank you. Adrian. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for showing up this way. And I, I yeah. anyway, love you. Excited for our friendship moving forward. Love I you, love brother. your invitation. Yeah. I love your invitation, Adrian, of, of not making up that this isn't applicable to you or this doesn't this, you know, this is, this is life and this is life giving life. Doug, I'll let you have the right, the last word. And if you want, let people know how to connect with you. Yeah. So uh, the book's available on Amazon. Holy shit. We're alive. Um, and I love, like I said, I'm not famous. I just, I don't have a ton of followers. So like, if you shoot me a DM on Instagram, I'll respond to you. I'll chat with you. So hit me up on Instagram at Doug underscore Cartwright. I love the conversation. I love the dance. Like we're participating in the dance. It's the only dance there is. So I would love for all of you guys to join me. Not famous yet. (laughs) Thanks brother. So generous. Appreciate it. Thanks guys. Bye-bye everybody. See you. Well, my friends, thank you so much for listening to yet another conversation on the Naked Leadership Podcast. Your listenership and commitment to the podcast means the world to us. If this podcast or these conversations has helped helped or inspired you in any way, would you mind going to Apple Podcasts and leaving a five-star rating and a glowing review? This helps us grow the movement and reach more leaders and teams. Finally, the greatest compliment that you can give us is sharing the podcast with your teams and the other leaders in your life. Until next week, bye-bye, everybody.